Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Clubhouse Talk. This is one of your co-hosts, as, as normal, Kylie Morrison, alongside Joseph Moraz. Joe, how are you doing this fine week? We're doing good. We got a nice plate of things to talk about this evening, which uh, will be fun. Uh, some good stuff, some bad stuff, but nonetheless, we'll give you our, our honest report. Yeah, I mean, we've got... We've got baseball to recap you on, um, pros, college baseball's in full swing, College World Series coming up. You've got U.S. Open coming up this week, and even a little bit of uh, big news in the NFL, a, a huge trade that happened the last two weeks while we were, while we were away. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump right into, I guess, we'll start with the not-so-pleasant topic. We like to, like to end on the high notes and, and get the hard stuff out of the way. So let, let's start with the Braves. Of last time we left off for you guys two weeks ago, it was sitting there right in the middle of that national series. Um, and then right on the right on the docket was the Dodgers coming into town, and then you had a road trip of Philly and Miami. And and now here we are in an off day right before the Braves have Austin come to town for two on Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you've got St. Louis coming into town for four this weekend. Um, but we said that this was gonna be a really defining stretch, is kind of basically month of June was going to be a really tough one with where the Braves were. And surprisingly they took that Dodgers series and then that road trip was, was not pleasant. No, no, I, I was pleased to see us play well against the Dodgers. That I, I think is, you know, certainly going to be a contender come, you know, September and October looked like the Braves. We got accustomed to seeing the last couple of years. And then we just kind of went out there Laid an egg from the bullpen. Just it, it really wasn't even, you know, just the bullpen. It was just everything in general wasn't sharp. We're not getting runs across the board. Um, it's just it's it's just not there. And I don't know what where to really point a finger at anymore because you know we're Freddie is still not playing up to his standards, and we keep waiting and waiting for him to come around, and it just hasn't been the case so far this season. I know. Well, some of the numbers I've looked at with like his, his foul balls being hit increasingly harder as the season goes on, which I know to a lot of Braves fans means absolutely nothing. And certainly doesn't mean too much in, in terms of and productability, but um, I guess a somewhat encouraging sign there, but it's, it's just really missing pieces across the board with the guys that have gone out to injuries. We just didn't have enough off the bench or in the, as you alluded to when we were talking before the show is just guys to call up from AAA to fill in those roles. So it's, it's really a tough spot to be in right now. And they, they're going to have to catch lightning in a bottle here in the, as we get into the, the later stages of the summer, early fall. Yeah, we're going to need some serious trades. I mean, obviously when we left off last time, we were talking about the whole Marcel Zuna and clearly that's the bat that they're going to have to replace come end of July. It's yeah. clearly someone we're going to have to replace in the outfield in, in who can have some serious thump in, in that uh, middle of the order for them. As great as Austin Riley's been, he's not really a cleanup hitter. And, I mean, heck, we had Almonte hitting in cleanup yesterday. It's I mean, you look, you look at the squad, and I, I saw one of the Braves beat writers made a joke, and it was like Braves split squads taking a trip to Miami. I mean, it literally looked like a spring training squad out there. You have Adrian's is out there playing shortstop, Almonte in center, um, at, at one point, Ender had to come into the game. Ronald got a little, little bit of a strain. Nothing to worry about. Thinks that he's going to be back in the lineup for this Red Sox series. 
But, it, I mean, you just look at it and you're just like, you see why this team's struggling so much. But the bullpen was was really problematic there in that Philly series. You take the first game on the road, and then the second game, you have a 1-0 lead going in the ninth, and Will Smith gives up a two-run bomb to a rookie. And then the next day, you go out there, and uh, in the ninth inning, Freddie ties it up, and you get to extra innings, score two in the top of the tenth, and then you bring in Chris Barton this time to try and get the save with a two-run lead and gives up all three runs without giving it out. So – you blow back-to-back games, you go down Miami, you lose two games in a row with really not putting up much support at all. Morton had another whole pretty sad performance down there, and, and then they did take the, the last game of the day on Sunday. But it's just – it's tough. This team can't get over 500. It's just an average baseball team. Yeah, I mean, it really is. With, with the injuries, I mean, coming into the season, it looked like on paper that we were going to be – fairly good offensive team, if not one of the better teams in the league. And it just has not been the case, you know, with the exception of Ronald's, you know, I think, I think we can now coin him as a perennial all-star. I think I'm confident enough saying that, you know, I I expect him to every season to be batting in that 280 ish range with, you know, a good amount of home runs and RBIs, but you know, other than Austin Riley, there just hasn't been a whole lot else in that lineup. And honestly, hats off to Almonte, Heredia, Adrizania for actually like playing decent baseball because they there was no talk in the beginning of the season of these guys having the role that they've had. And it was barely they barely even made the roster. Heck, none of them did make the roster. Other than Adrianza was the only one who made the roster. The other guys are call ups. So yeah, and they've done. Think about where we would be without their production right now. I mean. It's a scary thought because I'm telling you, we probably at least another four or five losses, I would assume. So it's those guys are at least doing more than I think we could have ever expected for them. But clearly, this is not what we what we expected coming into the year when you when you took a look at this lineup. And I, I think that maybe we overestimated how much that DH really played into a role last year with how killer that Braves offense was of. You got to throw Marcel Azuna and then you had Adam Duvall. So you had two big thumping bats and it's what made that lineup look so deep. And it's amazing how much just adding a pitcher really changes an entire lineup. And it makes you look at it in a different way. Cause it only takes when you get the pitcher and you're looking at an auto out and then it just takes one or two other guys struggling. And then you're looking at only six or seven guys in an order that's hitting versus you have that DH in the order. You have one or two guys struggling. Well, that's you still have one extra batter in there that you would normally be, you know, replaced with the pitcher much better. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought up Duvall because looking back when I was watching the the Marlins series, just like seeing him just thinking about how vital he would have been this season to have in that roster. It's just, I I think the two pieces as a Braves fan, when this season's done, I, I mean, obviously we have a long way to go and who knows what could happen in the remaining whatever, how many games are left. But I think the two big things were letting Duvall and Melanson walk that really shaped the season more than anything. I, I can't, I can't agree with you more. I mean, Duvall, I mean, both of them are, it comes from basically penny crunching in terms of mm-hmm. they, they kind of let Duvall go to be able to sign Marcel. And you took, you took that risk of you were losing a big piece on your bench Obviously, nobody could have assumed that anything would happen like this with Marcelo Zuno, but it, it is what it is, and it happened. You don't really have anything to replace him with. 
And then the Melanson one was, I think when they signed Drew Smiley way back at the beginning of the off season, there was, I think there was some miscommunication or maybe some, some misjudgment on, on Anthopolis' side of talking with Liberty Media in terms of what the payroll was going to look like, because it's not like Melanson signed for that much. I think he signed for 3 million or something out in, in, uh, Which is- so it's, it's not like he signed for a lot and we didn't pony up the money for him. So it's clearly that they wouldn't get the, give him the money. We'd reached our payroll and Anthopolis kind of didn't know that. And I guarantee you that 11 million or 9 million or whatever we spent on Smiley would be used a whole lot differently if he, he had another go around and, and could have seen into the future. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think, I think we got, we overpaid for Smiley as I think we've seen this season. Um, he's had some better starts really with him. It just kind of depends on how his breaking ball is that night. Um, But yeah, I mean, we could have had the guy who's leading the NL in saves for saves. He's got 20 saves or something this year. And, and that's even with the Padres going on a pretty horrid streak right now. I think they've lost, I want to say it's like 10 of their last 14 games. I mean, so that's a lot of opportunities. He's not getting to save a game. Uh, The guy, the guy's picking them up left and right whenever he gets the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just been that it was just kind of a mess this off season. I think we, it was uh, mismanaged a little bit. And I, I do think a lot of it just comes down to the payroll issues. Like you were saying, I think we spent a lot early and as we talked about all off season, then we just kind of went silent and we didn't fill out our bullpen, you know, it, on the, on the, bats and fielding side it looked like it was going to be okay obviously we had a bunch of injuries that you can't count on for a season but if you're trying to make a deep run you need to be prepared for and we weren't I mean we we let some key bench pieces walk and Culberson was is getting older but he was still a big guy in the last couple seasons um Duvall obviously and it's just been pretty much worst case scenario and then you you have Soroka going down for the season Max Freed hasn't had his best stuff not even close. Um, Morton's been underwhelming, I would say. I mean, it's, it seems like it's every single outing that it's it's one inning that he just can't control. I mean, and it's, it's a pretty much difference of his wins and his losses are how bad is that one inning? Is that one inning four or five runs or is that one inning two runs? I, I mean, it's kind of the difference for him right now. In, the weird thing is he'll just come out of nowhere. He'll be cruising along, we'll retire – 10 straight batters and then all of a sudden gets shelled for five straight hits. And it's just like, where'd it come from? Yeah. It's like he, it's kind of the same with him and smiley. Smiley obviously doesn't have the stuff Morton does, but it's like once they get to that third go around in the lineup, I just, they can't get anything by anybody. It seems like on a lot of these outings. Um, I mean, I, I think to, to assume that smiley would be able to pitch five, six innings every night is slightly naive but you can expect that as somebody like charlie morton that's what he's done for his whole career his career and, and it just hasn't been the case this season which has been disappointing because between those two guys i think what is it 23 million tied up yeah it's 15 and 15 and 9 i think so 24 yeah. yeah so i mean that's a good chunk of change that could have been diversified elsewhere if they're not going to perform oh you're talking about there's a lot you can do a 24 billion in a bullpen i mean that's that is three lockdown arms type deal. Yeah. And they didn't even need three lockdown arms. I mean, that's, that's plenty enough to go out there and to get, you know, 
you can get someone like Darren O'Day back. You can get, you know, Mark Melanson back and still have enough to go get one more decent starter. Mm -hmm. So it's just one of those things where I get it, but here it feels like it's a couple of years ago where at the bull, at the deadline, they had to go so heavy in the bullpen. The problem is they've got to get, they've got to get a legit closer and they have to get a legit middle of the order pad. And those are two major prices to pay at a deadline. You yeah. don't get higher prices other than trying to go for a true ace. And I, they clearly don't have enough to spend for all three things. So you've got to get the first two. Yeah. And then, you know, from there, the question becomes, are we even close enough at the deadline where it makes sense? I mean, if we're hanging on by a thread as of right now. I mean, you're five games back. The Mets are playing, playing good ball. Um, the Phillies are starting to wake up a little bit. So, and here's the thing, I got bad news for you, Braves fans. If you don't win the division, you're not going to playoffs this year because the NL West is taking, the NL West is taking both wildcard spots. The Giants have the best record in baseball and they're a game over the Padres or a game over the Dodgers, two games over the Padres. And whoever is second and third in that division is absolutely taking the wild card. I'm, I'm pulling it up now. It looks like, Yes, you've got the Dodgers, Dodgers, Brewers, Cubs, Padres. So Dodgers have the lead right now for the wild card. The Cubs and Brewers are tied for the second spot, and the Padres are one game back. The Braves are seven games back of the second wild card spot as of today. And there's a lot more teams in between there that you've got So it's it's an all Easter bust. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we every time we've we've covered since we started the Brave or the MLB season, it seems like we're just kind of waiting and waiting for something to happen. And it just almost gets bleaker and bleaker. Um, at mm-hmm. Something drastic is going to need to change. Either we're going to need to put up eight runs a game or we're going to need to learn how to get somebody out. And uh, I think it, it just – How about both? That'd be fine too. But there's just been so many guys this season that have just not performed on top of the injuries. Because, I mean, with the injuries alone, we would have had to play pretty good baseball to – to get it into the playoffs and win the division, in my opinion, um, just losing the key pieces we have. Then Azuna was the cherry on top. Um, and AJ Minter has been terrible. Um, I mean, honestly, I, for those who follow this podcast, you know, you know, I, I'm not too high on Luke Jackson, but I mean, the guy's been the only person who I can honestly say has had, or on the pitching side, had a really good season. He's beyond their most consistent person. I mean, this guy yeah. is getting guys out night after night. He's got a one a one something ERA. Um, I think he's. I think out of all relievers, he's in the top forty for guys who have pitched as many innings as he's pitched this year for for ERA and in stats, basically. So, I mean, when you think about the entire major leagues, top forty relievers you're talking some pretty high company and especially when you're thinking about Luke Jackson, I mean, he is, he is known as the Braves scapegoat. And I'm sure the one time he goes out there and gets shelled and gives up three or four runs will be, everybody will back jumping on him and he doesn't really get a lot of praise for as good as he's doing, but yeah, I mean, really locked down so far. He didn't even make the postseason roster last year. And yeah, and I will be the happiest person in the world who's ever been wrong. If, if he continues up this level of play for the rest of the season. But it's, I mean, it's just, there's, I hate to be a Debbie Downer because, you know, we like to have to talk sports and be excited about the Braves, but it's just, there's not a whole lot of, of good to look for. Um, I mean, who knows what the timetable's like for a lot of the guys that are out. We might not get some of them back till September, it looks like. So it, it and by that time, it's the decision of if it's even worth it. I don't, I don't see this team in a chance of 
ever wanting to sell off at the deadline because really they other than maybe a couple bullpen pieces, there's not really people you have to sell off on this team. So at this point, it's kind of just going to be treading water in hope that they're within this five or six games, you know, come deadline enough to give their ownership belief that they can, they can put a turnaround if you give them the right pieces. But they keep sliding games here between now and the end of July. And, and you're looking at a 10 game deficit. I don't see us making any big moves because why waste, prospects on a probably wasted year at this point i i would agree honestly um i think if you're around that five game buffer where we're at now go for it and see what happens but if you're 10 games back i mean there's even with a good deadline you need to play good baseball and then it's still that's a lot in two a wing a wing and a prayer yeah it's a lot of games to make up in two months i mean how many games you play in two months Sixty games. I mean, you're you're talking about you, you're you're looking at in that sixty games. You're probably needing to go forty and twenty, roughly. Yeah, and, and that's just with this team right now. I I would say healthy, go for it. But there's there's too many pieces missing. And if if our lead dogs don't turn it around, if we don't get some real Max Freed style pitching, um, I mean, Ian Anderson's been pretty good. Um, but I mean, Freed and Morton need to turn it around. And then we need to find something in the bullpen. I mean, yeah. for the love of God, we need to find I, something. In the I bullpen. will say a shout out to Tucker Davidson. The guy's been another bright, there's another young star for the mm-hmm. pitching that's coming out and, and showing out when he's got his opportunity. And, you know, these things happen in baseball. It seems like every year, if, uh, you know, it's amazing how many times these young guys, when they get thrown in, thrown in the wolves, Ian Anderson last year. Um, and when you get thrown in the wolves and, you're young and maybe don't know any better and you, you show up in your opportunity. And that's what Tucker's doing. He's gotten a couple starts and he's piecing them together. Yep. I mean, there's, there's been a few glimmers of hope, but nothing sustained. We just, we, I think, you know, really the frustrating part to me, it's not losing, you know, a few games to the Mets because that's going to happen. They're a good ball club. They're going to win. It's just, it's the games that we should be winning that we just get, you know, run rough shot through. Like we should not have dropped that series to the Marlins in the fashion we did. It, it yeah, I don't know. It no, just, I mean, you, should, you shouldn't it's, go to the Braves are a better team than Miami. You should take two out of three there. You blow two games to Philly. I, I mean, that's three games right there. You're looking at being two games back and you're in second place instead of third place. It's just little things like that. And they keep adding up, you know, week after week after week this year. So, I, I mean, like I said, you've got Boston coming into town this week um, for, for two games on Tuesday, Wednesday, St. Louis coming in for four, and you go on the road for New York for four, and Cincy for four. That's a long road trip. And you come back at the end of the month, and you have New York again for three more. So you've got seven this month, a lot, of, a lot of chances to make up ground on the number one team, which is great. But you better take advantage of them. And and the other two teams that we're playing this month, Cardinals and Red Sox, are no slouches either. And since no. even, especially hopefully the Red Sox continue the play that they have been into our series. But yeah, they just got thumped over the weekend by the by the Blue Jays. So I'm sure they're gonna be they're gonna be wanting to get themselves back. But hey, it, it's not a it's not looking bright at the moment. Hopefully, hopefully over the next two weeks they can they can pick it up and we have a whole lot better to talk about at the end of the month. But each time we, we get on this podcast, it seems like this the future of this team looks more and more clear. Yep, unfortunately. So do you cast 
any of the blame on on Snitker when it comes to this because I I have you know a, a, a several other Braves friends one in particular who is saying that it's it's really undercover but it, a lot of it's Snickers bullpen management that's been the the underlying issue. Yeah, Snickers he struggled with bullpen management in his career. Um, in, in last year, I think the bullpen was so good that it kind of helped him in the sense of anybody could could have understood what to do last year in terms of mm-hmm. pull out, you know, Mentor, Matzik, Smith. Like, you just played the righty lefties. You had so many weapons to go to. It didn't really matter when you threw them out there, and they were all going to do good. But before that, you know, going back a couple of years, if you look, a lot of Braves fans were complaining about his, his bullpen management, and at times it is really spotty in terms of why do you choose these people in such high leverage situations? Um, and, and part of me wants to defend him and say, he just doesn't have as many pieces as he needs. Cause you can't ride your horses every single night. It's 162 game season, but at other times it, there are just mind boggling decisions when guys seemingly are available and he doesn't, doesn't use them at the right opportunity. I think that's what gets me the most is when I, I get, like you said, the beating the horse, but if, if you've got him available and he's ready to go, you know, why aren't we using him? We're not in a situation where we can afford to drop games right now. We need to be, you know, all gas here. And I, I agree. I mean, I think this next month he needs to use his bullpen as if this is the stretch run. I understand you've got time, but you, you've got to hold on now. So it's, it's going to be a tough month of trying to, you get, you always are planning for the whole season, but these guys are going to have to get used. You've got Shane Green, who had three months off comparative to everybody else in terms of mm-hmm. game pitching. Yeah, he was throwing at home, and so his arm was still getting used, but it's not game pitching. It's not, no. same, it's not the same thing. So he's a much fresher arm. Use him a lot over the next month. Take advantage of him being on this team and being a whole lot fresher than everybody else. I'd like to see him get a chance in the closer role. Will Smith has really, really struggled in the ninth inning, as we've talked about. So let him get a crack at the ninth. Let Luke Jackson get a crack at the ninth for all I care. And move Will Smith back up to high leverage situations in the seventh or eighth. He did fine with that last year, frankly. That's where he belongs. He's, he's really just not – his stuff isn't built for being a closer, in my opinion. I agree. I, I think he's kind of a specialist. You're in a high leverage. You know, you need to get one or two outs. Bring him in to end an inning and, and get out of a jam. He's got that nasty slider. It's a great time to use that type of thing. So – Yep. And it, it's – the closing role, it's not a knock on their ability as a pitcher. It's just – it's a position that's very highly coveted that some guys can do and some guys just frankly can't. I mean, we, we've we seen it more than most in, in the Braves franchise the last 10 years. But, I mean, Minter got beat up a couple of years ago when he tried to beat the closer. It was honestly almost ruined his career. And then last year he came back and, and pitched well. He's not pitching well again. But it's just the, that extra – added pressure and then you got batters I think tend to be a little bit more attentive when the the game's on the line and and when you know what you're getting because you see it so much in that closing role with the scouting reports on that pitcher it just for some people doesn't work and I think Will Smith's one of them I think he's a phenomenal piece in the seventh or eighth inning but I I just don't think he's your guy in the ninth that you're turning the ball to I I agree it's it's a mentality it's a tough mentality being a closer um, and not everybody has that. Go listen to any any former Braves or any former relief pitcher talk about it. It's like there are just some guys who are cut out for it and some guys who aren't. And it, it's a high-pressure situation. So 
there's no knock on if you're if you're a leverage guy or if you're a closer, but just know what what job you have and utilize them for that for that job. Yep, absolutely. So I mean, there's not much else we we have to talk about. There's there's no big news. Thankfully, there hasn't been any major injuries. I guess in the last couple of weeks, the, the farm system's kind of beat up, which is another thing is is tough. You don't even have guys. To, to call up in case guys are slumping because everyone else seems like they're hurt down in triple a too. So it's, we'll, we'll see what happens going forward. Like I said, next two weeks, it's going to continue to say a lot about this team because the closer and closer you get to the deadline, the more and more, you know, how they're going to approach it. And then whether they go for it or don't go for it, then you kind of know what faith, you know, this ownership team and where this team's direction is probably going to go. Yep. And if history is anything, you know, any telltale sign we're going to have to be right there to make any kind of moves because this, this ownership is not like it. No, they have not, even with division leads the last couple of years, they, they have not really gone quote unquote all in at the time. So it's going to be tough to convince them to spend the money this year. Uh, but we can, we can move on from, from that to, I guess, much more exciting and, and what we like to preview Big time, which is going to be the U.S. Open this week. Um, out at historic Torrey Pines. It's been a while since the U.S. Open has been held there. It's pretty, pretty interesting. It seems like, every, you know, we've had two incredible storylines for the first two majors this year with, with Phil winning and Hideki winning. So I guess my first question to you is you look at this field and you got a lot of players playing good, a lot of big names playing good coming into it again, just like you do with the PGA. Do you think we get some kind of crazy storyline that's just an awesome story? Do you think that we're going to have some some horses going at it this week? I think it's going to be more so the horses going at it this week. I I think um, I think there's just too many big names playing well. I mean, it it appears that DJ's finding some semblance of form. He's missed the cut in the first two majors of the year, so I would assume that he'll be motivated to have his game ready. Um, we have some coals being tossed on the fire between Brooks and Bryson. Obviously those two as competitive as they are, aren't going to want to go out there and lay an egg. Um, so I think, I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, if there's any kind of storyline where those two are coming down the stretch, that would be phenomenal. But I also, I expect Xander Shoffley to play well on the West coast. I think, you know, he has hometown, this, kid. hometown kid. He hasn't had the season that, He's, he would have liked to so far, um, but he's kind of the guy who tends to show up in majors. Um, so those are a few of the guys I have my eye on. Um, there's, I, I really think this week it's going to be a bomber that wins out at Torrey. I, I think that's kind of become sort of a theme at U.S. Opens is just the, uh, the added value of the extra club head speed coming out of the rough, I think, is, is the one part of the game that – the distance is really going to help you on is just in those U S open style courses, being able to get the, the longer, not, not necessarily long irons, but your mid irons through the rough cleaner and uh, just getting the ball down there closer where you can hit a nine iron as opposed to a seven, six iron into some of those greens. So that's, that's kind of where I have it. Um, No, I I agree. I mean, the, the last couple of years, it's really been, as the rough gets thicker and thicker, it seems like the U.S. Open each year, people think that thick rough means you got to be an accurate driver. And in fact, I, I think it actually goes opposite of that. I think it does mean you have to be longer and longer because you get these courses firm and fast 
everybody's going to miss carries. Nobody is going to be hitting it down the middle every single time. And so when you're thinking about it, what would you rather be 200 yards out coming out of this thick rough that's up to your ankles, or would you rather be 150 yards out? I mean, there, there's a significant difference there. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you look at people, like you said, DJ found form last week out at the Palmetto championship finished, uh, was in it going into the weekend, kind of fluttered a little bit on the weekend, but it's good to see he had form to get himself up there near the lead. Uh, John Rahm, who we can talk about his whole memorial experience in a, in a second, but uh, he's obviously coming in playing fantastic golf with, with it being a bombers course. You probably really can't rule out Rory. If he can get his swing together, uh, Xander's going to be, we already said hometown kid. Mark was playing good hometown from California. Um, Finau is a bomber that, that can probably play really well in this style, of course. So it's there's a lot of big names, big bombers to, to look at this week. So it's going to be a really hard one to, I think, pick a winner. But I'd be surprised if we got another surprising storyline in, in sense. I mean, as much as Hideki was a great story, no one really expected Hideki to win. coming into No, he hadn't played well for several years. Yeah, and then Phil comes in and, and shocks the world by winning the PGA. So I, I would be beyond shocked if there was somebody down the – down the names that, that you wouldn't normally expect to win this week, but yeah, I think I think the the U.S. Open tends to kind of, I mean, all majors do, but I think even more so the U.S. Open tends to separate the men from the boys a little bit, where you don't get a whole ton of surprises usually. Um, I mean, there's a there's a couple guys that I would I'd throw in there. I think like uh, I'd go as far down to say like a Max Homa could probably make a, a little bit of a push. Um, but I just don't – I don't see anybody on Sunday winning the, the tournament that's like, wow, that, that kind of came out of nowhere. No doubt. I mean, even – I mean, I guess you could say there's some rookies like Scotty Scheffler who bombs the ball um, or Sam Burns. He hits that the ball and just played great this year, struggled the last couple of weeks. But, I mean, not, I don't think either of those guys would be somebody you would eat be all that surprised because they've played well this year so yeah it may not be the biggest of names but I guarantee you it's someone who is either coming in in great form or it's one of those big horses that that gets it done this week yeah I I agree I'd like to see JT's game get back to what we're used to seeing he he would kind of be a you know a favorite not a favorite pick but you know a, a good story for me to kind of cement himself even more Man, he's um, he is either hot or not so far this year. I mean, what he wins the he wins the players, and and then at other times he, he can't make the cut. Terrible. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think another developing storyline in majors, going back to the Masters a little bit. I think the course sets up well for Zalatoris, who gets the ball out there a good ways and is just an absolute beautiful ball striker. Um, so I, I I think somebody with that style of play that's just really a solid ball striker is going to prevail. I think the guys with the, that are more of the short game specialist quote unquote will struggle a little bit more. Like you're, you know, I, I usually I'm, I like picking Patrick Reed as a guy to be in contention because of his short game and his ability to find good lies. But I, I just can't see a, a guy who just can't overwhelm a course of their ball striking, getting it done this week. The more and more I look at this and I, I keep looking at the names that we're talking about, I'm just laughing at it. It's like, we're just looking at all the young guys. I mean, all these young stars that, 
that absolutely kill the ball. Um, Daniel Berger is another guy who beats the heck out of the ball that can ball strike it and, and get around. And he played well on the West Coast earlier this year. Um, Victor he hasn't like, ever really done his best work in majors, though. No, he has not. My, he has, my one he, knock on him, I love his game, but it just he, – He show up on the streaky. big stage. Yeah, he's very streaky, and it just doesn't seem to line up. Um, but, yeah, Victor, I – Victor Hovland is another young game who can beat it and ball strike it around that golf course. If he can hit enough greens and doesn't have to worry about his short game, then – and that's a huge piece for him. Joaquin Neiman also kills the ball. So it's just I, I keep looking at the at the board here, and it's it's harder. Cam Smith, I, I mean, just all these guys. Basically, if anybody over the age of thirty wins this, I will be floored. Yeah, yeah. I mean, another name I'd, I'd throw into the ring who's been around in the U.S. Opens for it seems like the last five years. Tommy Fleetwood is probably one of the best players that hasn't gotten over the hump. Uh, haven't heard his name as much of of late, but certainly an A plus ball striker. Absolutely grinds rounds out. And that's what you have yeah. for the US Open. That guy is really good at making a whole lot of pars. And I do I will be really curious to see of how hard they make Tory because it, you can make this course ridiculously hard where it's just a few out there and they could also make it where if someone goes out there and and strikes their way around and hits enough fairways. I mean I I guess it could be that surprise if I saw eight or ten under at the end of the week. Yeah, it's it's been a mixed bag at US Opens. It's either been like unbelievably absurdly difficult, or it's been like what we saw at Aaron Hills when Brooks won. I think he was like 17 under or something. He absolutely just blistered that. Yeah. So I, I agree. I don't really know what to expect. I think a lot of it just depends on the, what the weather's been like out there and if they can get that rough, like long and lush as they'd want it to be. Um but, I mean, if, if they have that course set up where the rough is, is long and thick and it's playing firm and fast, I mean, you, it, it's, it'll be tough to see anything under more than two or three under. Or one, or it was, there was one under playoff with him and Rocco in, in 08 when they played there. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it could very easily be something around that. I think last year Bryson wanted five under, I think, five or six under and one by a handful. So I think if anybody gets to that around eight under number, five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, under number, I'd, I'd expect that to win um, unless this course plays simpler than what we expect. But you know, in the USGA, they're going to they're gonna test them for all they're worth in terms of rolling or getting that rough as thick as can be and rolling those greens down to the edge. Yeah, they're, they've uh... – They've definitely put the emphasis on making it as difficult as possible to combat the technology the last few years because there was a stretch there from like 2012 to 2016-ish where U.S. Opens did not play as difficult as they had in the past, and that was kind of the onset of, of I guess, the uh, the young bomber mentality on the tour. So they're, they're going to do everything they can to defend that course, and the way to do it is, is kind of like what Augusta did this year, just make it firm, fast, and where – you have to be in certain spots to even get to get the ball close. Um, so that's kind of the uh, the golden ticket for the USGA this week, I think. It's going to be a blast having them. I love West Coast tournaments in general, and having a major on the West Coast is so awesome. Maybe because I think because you get to put golf in prime time and, and oh, I agree. watch it at night. It, like 
it, it's weird kind of, but you get to do your whole day and then you get to come home and watch golf in the same time you normally watch your baseball and your football. I mean, golf will be on this week until nine o'clock at night here in central time, 10 o'clock on, on East coast. Um, so you're getting to watch it late at night. I like that a whole lot more than having to miss some of it early in the day. And you're watching, you know, only four or five hours of coverage. You're, you're talking about seven, eight hours of coverage just because of, of windows of being on the West coast. Yeah. And, and Tory's just an awesome spot for the tournament in general. For some reason, this course doesn't get the praise that a lot of the uh, consistent U S open courses, like I mean, not Pebble beach, I think in the U S opens to a class of its own, but even like wing foot, um, it just, there's some people, some pretty rank names in the golf world that just aren't that high on Tory pines for some reason. I think, it's because from from what I heard is they let so many people play on it throughout the year that the course never really looks beautifully pure and the greens are always a little bit bumpy. But I, I just think it's a phenomenal golf course. I, just, I don't understand a lot of the criticism it gets. I think it's it's kind of the true U.S. Open sort of they want to build that every man feel course. I guess it's a little bit in Pebble has the historic – nature behind it and it's got the the great photos and, and scenes that you get around it but with, with tory being a, a normal tour spot every year i think that kind of takes away from its ambiance a little bit and i agree people look at it like a normal pga tour course just because you do get that farmer's insurance open early every year out there which by the way you were talking about Patrick earlier he he won that earlier this year um amidst his controversial drop and all that early. but <laughs> but yeah so you know, it's one of those, I think that that kind of takes away to maybe the typical golf fan, the, uh, the fun nature of, and the, cause it's just something you get to see every year. It's not that surprising course, like, like Kiowa was this year. I mean, we hadn't seen Kiowa since when Rory won in 2012. And on that, it was the 99 Ryder, the Ryder Cup in 91. So those type of courses, you only see every so often. I think that brings a little bit different vibe to it than, than a Tory does it, but it's not an knock because Tory is an absolutely massive ballpark and it's a perfect place for us open. I think so too. And I, I do want to pick your brain. I'm sure you are probably going to get to this at some point, but uh, going back to the PGA Phil this week, what are your expectations? God, it's, it's one of those where I mean, this course doesn't set up well. I mean, he hits the ball far, so I guess that's great. But I mean, you look at what he's done since the since the PGA, and it's you look you take out the PGA, and his entire season's been consistent. You look at the PGA, <laughs> and his season begins to look not consistent because he has this one shining week where everything lined up, and he was able to hit all the shots that he wanted. And he made the putts, and and then other than that, it's been it's been bad. And so, yes. I. I I can't believe I'm saying this, that the guy just just won a major a month ago. I'd be shocked if he makes the cut this week. <laughs> I know. And wouldn't that be so anticlimactic, too? It's like the, the buildup. And, and then, at, I mean, if he does miss the cut, everybody's going to be like, why do you have to win the PGA? Why couldn't he have saved it for the U.S.? But I think uh, to kind of go on a different foot, I think he'll make the cut. and But I don't think he'll ever be there. You know, I he think also has think so much pressure on himself coming into this week every single year because we all know it's yeah. to complete the career grand slam and and really I cannot see Phil 
I, I want him to complete the career Grand Slam as much as anyone. For Phil Mickelson to win two majors in a row at age 50, I mean, the odds would are be there. It would be the most unbelievable story in sports. I mean, there, there's two glaring things that Phil doesn't have on his resume and what has otherwise been, in my opinion, a top 10 career. He's never been number one in the world. Thank you largely to Tiger. And he's never won the U.S. <laughs> Open. But I, I would go as far to argue say is he's one of the best U.S. Open players of all time. And he's never won the set seven, seven runner-ups? Six, I think. Six runner-ups. So it's, he's played it's great crazy. there. He just – a little bit of bad luck and a little bit of, of bad timing of, of his own implosions. But that's the way golf is sometimes. Yeah. I mean, the, the most recent one where he had a stretch was uh, when Justin Rose – one and that was just i mean justin played phenomenal golf I was gonna say, justin took that one yeah um but you know really other than that it's been poor performance after poor performance he missed a u.s open one year to go to his daughter's graduation which good on him um but it's just hasn't hasn't been there for him the last eight or so years and that's kind of when the storyline picked up more and more was in the twilights of his career where everybody's like is phil gonna actually win one and then you know Against all odds, he will have to win one. And I think yeah. this is probably – and to his own admission, this is probably his last really good shot just growing up in the area. Grew up playing Torrey Pines a lot as a kid, so he knows the course really well. So I, I think this is as good a chance as any. But to your point, to win back-to-back majors in your prime is a very tall order. Um, there's only been a handful of guys who have done it in the last 20 years. And to uh, to do it at the age of fifty would just be absurd. It's the word. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here here's another big name coming into the week: Spieth. Yay or nay on Spieth this week? Uh, much from him. I like. I, I again, he's played well enough this season where it wouldn't surprise me. Um, it it's just with him, it's the putter because he does tend to get a little wild off the tee. So. I, I think of the of the non-bomber short game guys, Spieth would be the only one that I could say in confidence has a good chance to win. Um, I just – I don't know. The guy's going to have to have an incredible short game say. week. Up and down yeah, he, and, and making putts. Um, he does putt pretty decent for for standard on, on – when it comes to Poano grass, which is not the easiest thing to putt on. But, but – um, Yeah, I mean – when he's putting well, he's the, the best putter in the world and putting's the great equalizer. So it, it wouldn't surprise me. If he gets the putter going, he's pretty hard to beat. Trying to pull up right now. He's, uh, it's just, I know, I know in the last couple of majors, we've had some pretty clear picks that we liked coming into it. It's just U.S. Opens are so difficult because you don't really know what you're going to get when you show up. Like we knew Kiowa was going to be blustery and there was going to be the emphasis on – the accurate T-ball, Augusta plays pretty similar every year. You need the guys who can wedge it and putt it well. But U.S. Opens can just be so drastically different season to season. It's just kind of hard to to put a, a dime on on who you're going with. And the only thing that I'm, I'm really leaning with one way or the other is I just like those guys that are going to be able to knock it out there. He is not – I'm looking at it right now of his uh, career out at, at Florian. It's not, not great. Um Missed the cut this year, 55th last year, 35th year before, cut, 19th cut. So that's his career tour. Um, not, a, not an illustrious career by any stretch. 
Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't – I think he'll probably be around on the weekend, but I don't think he's going to be a storyline coming into the weekend. No, I don't think so. He'd have to, like you say, get that putter really rocked and rolling, and it's one of the people that can do it. And, you know, the fans will be behind him, but it's just, you know, he's – tall order. Yeah, he's cooled off a little bit in the last – since that uh, just absolute fire stretch that he went from pretty much of mid-March to – to late April there. Mm-hmm. So I'm um, trying to think of what other major storylines we can, we can go back a little bit and talk about this whole John Rom situation. Cause he is the favorite. Um, he is the betting favorite on pretty much everywhere you look coming into this week. Uh, and for good reason, as his last tournament he played in was two weeks ago at the Memorial and he was on pace or he had broken the 54 hole scoring record. He was winning by six, four, six, six going into Sunday. And he's walking off the green on Saturday afternoon. And um, these PGA tour officials come to him and tell him, Hey, you've tested positive for COVID and it's an automatic WD. So apparently he had been exposed to somebody who had COVID. He was in protocols the whole week knew that this was a possibility and didn't get a positive result until Saturday afternoon, which is just beyond unfortunate because the guy was walking away with the tournament and was had an opportunity to be uh, in pretty historic company of the only person to go back to back to the Memorials tiger. And so really a shame for him, but clearly he's coming in on top form. Yeah. I mean, that, that's an absolute bummer. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners have seen the clip, but if not, you know, there's, there's the, the news being broken to him on the 18th green. You can tell he's just absolutely gutted. And I, I sympathize for the guy. I'm not, not one of his biggest fans in general, no, for not for any particular reason, but um, I mean, there's nothing he could, you can do. And just in the world we live in, that's, there's no way for the PGA to, to really get around that because I, I saw that a couple of people were saying, like, let him play by himself behind everybody. You know, he won't be touching the pins. No one else will be exposed. But there's still all the fans out there, and they just – they can't take that kind of risk just with everything going on right now. Um, but certainly disappointing um, because, like you said, a huge historic company, and I think the Memorial is on the short list of tournaments that outside of the majors are the ones you want to get on your resume. Um, and, and to win back to back at Jack's place, like I said, only one, of, only other person who's done it is Tiger. So he would have been in an elite yeah. company with that, and you can almost you can almost put him him in there with an asterisk this year, um, as he would have won. You know, I, I would have been shocked if he won it. I mean, he's he's a very solid player usually. I mean, he, and to have a six shot lead in the way he was playing, I, I mean, it uh, would have been a monumental collapse on Sunday. And we've seen him. I mean, Chess and Hadley blew what was a four shot lead at the Palmetto championship to keep the Puerto Rican curse alive. Um, for, mm-hmm. for all people who don't know, uh, there is a curse on the PGA tour that if you win the Puerto Rico open, uh, no one has ever been proceeded to win in the United States after that. Um, Chesson was trying to break that streak and did not this weekend. So, <laughs> um, yeah. it's, so, I mean, yes, it happens collapses, but that one wasn't going to happen for John. And to be fair and no disrespect to Chesson, but, they are very different players on very different <laughs> calibers. Uh, where Chesson hasn't won in seven years, John Rahm's kind of a, a staple in winning and contending 
and he is, I mean, he is on the verge of, of winning a major. He seems to always be there. Uh, we talked about it a little bit after Augusta, if I'm not mistaken, how he kind of gets there on Sunday, but he's never really in contention. Uh, I expect him to be as motivated as he could possibly be coming off of, of that situation with the Memorial, looking for his first major on the West Coast, um, you know, played college golf at Arizona State, knows Phil's uh, knows Phil very well, knows Tim Mickelson very well, who's his coach at Arizona State. Uh, so I, I expect him to be, you know, I know he is the betting favorite and I, I, at the, um, I guess, risk of sounding repetitive. I think he's probably my favorite to win this week. Hard not to like him. I mean, the guy's, the guy's playing as good as he is. And, you know, for people that are worried, oh, well, he's been in isolation. Are you sure he's been practicing? I, I can guarantee you John Rahm was out there these last couple of weeks uh, playing. I mean, his also to, to back up another reason why he is as big of a favorite as he is, he's played in the uh, Farmers Insurance Open every year since 2017. He won it his first year, his debut there in 2017, 29th in 2018, and then 5th, 2nd, 7th this year. So – it's quite a historic uh, precedence at this golf course. He's had a lot of success, clearly plays well here, loves being around here. And so for him to not be there come Sunday would be the shock. I'm not saying it's a guarantee he's going to win, but for if he finishes outside top 20, I would be floored. Yeah, he he's kind of one of those elite ball strikers we alluded to earlier. He's got all the shots around the green. He's a good putter. I mean, he, he's one of those guys that really does not have a weakness in this game. And it's, it showed over the course of his career, you know, the, the five so years he's been on the PGA tour, he's been consistently one of the best players every year. He's and a surprisingly clutch golfer. I mean, we talk about, it, he's not always there in contention, which he is though. He gets the job done. Yeah, he, he does. And he, I think it's an, and if not when with him and when he gets his, his first major, you know, first of probably a couple, in my opinion, I don't. I think he'll be around for a long time. I think a U.S. <clears throat> style really fits his game better than probably most majors. Um, not that he can't. He's played well at Augusta. I think he could play. I think he could definitely get a green jack in his career there. But uh, I think the U.S. Open is the best major format for him, just for his style of game of, of absolutely bomb it, ball strike it, and then he's got the putter to be able to carry himself through it, to be able to make those clutch part putts and be able to make the birdie putts when you have your opportunities. I, I absolutely agree. And just the way the U S open plays, it's like the, the pars are as important as the birdies. And if you're locked in on that inside 10 foot range, which I don't know exactly where he ends up on the statistics, but I feel like he doesn't miss a whole lot of them. Um, be shocked if his putting is, I, I mean, so he is, 80, he's right in the middle of the pack when it comes to, to strokes game putting um, this year. He's really good on avoiding three putts to, let's see, from 10 feet. 10 feet, he's not directly at 10 feet. He's not great putting inside of 10 feet. He's 34th on, on tour. So that's that's really high because you're talking that's coming out of, you know, 200-plus players. So he's at the top percentile there for putting inside 10 feet, which you're going to have to be. Yep, definitely. Definitely one of the names, kind of a sentimental name here I want to touch on, Lee Westwood. So to give to give a little context, Lee's played pretty well this year. 
um, had kind of a resurgence in his career last year when he won the race to Dubai out on the European tour. He was in the final pairing with Tiger in 2008 at Tory. The man just got married this past week. Does Lee have a shot? You know, I, I think he's got a chance to be around, but I don't think he's got a chance to win. I mean, him winning a major would be even more shocking in a, in a sense to me than Phil, just because Lee hasn't even ever won one. Mm-hmm. So I would love for Lee to get one, but it's like, that's just even more shocking to be like, crap, you just got Phil, a 50-year-old winning, but now you just got Lee West, who's never won a major winning. Um, yeah. But I would love to see him get himself into contention. He had those back-to-back weeks where he was coming right down the stretch. Um and I, I think you're right. That is a really sentimental name that a lot of people would would probably get behind because a lot of, he's such a good guy, really, really well liked on tour. A lot of people would like to see him get his uh, get his his shining moment. Oh yeah, and and I think for me personally, I think he's probably the best player to never win a major. Just if you go on the full landscape of the career, I think the man's won over 40 times globally. Um, and he's had, you know, some serious heartbreaks slash collapses over the years in majors. So I, I think he would be just absolutely awesome to see win. And in a year where Japan's gotten their first major champion, we got the first major champion over 50. Why not, Lee, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, there's your there's your potential. I really I will say, in a weird way, I wanted to say that my shock, because – had this, uh, he didn't actually qualify for it. He had to go through regular sectionals. I was going to say, with all the other stories this year, wouldn't this have just been the year for, for Ricky Fowler to win? <laughs> of just pull something stupid like that. Um, but I guess you could say that with Tony Finau would be a – you know, I know he's going to be one of the people really highly looked at, but the guy's never won on tour and outside of Puerto Rico. So it's yeah, on, a, on a mainline tour event. I just – Yeah. I just don't see it. I, I don't know. I, the problem with Tony – is it's not the ball striking that betrays him on Sunday. It's the putting. And I mean, the putting is what gets you the trophy at the end of the day. And it, it's just, I just don't, I wouldn't feel confident in that. I, but to your point about Ricky, that would have been absolutely incredible. And I think if Ricky's going to win a major, I think it's going to be very Sergio-esque where it's kind of like he's Blue. playing decent golf, not enough to really, be like, okay, this is this is his time. But I, I think it's going to be something like that where he's just going to have to wait a little longer. And obviously, you know, he's not in the field this week. But, gosh, I'd, I'd love to see him start playing better again. It, it looked like he was starting to have a couple quality starts. I think he missed out on qualifying by – or missed out of the playoff by a, sh- a stroke. Yeah. In qualifying, but which – you know, I mean, the, he, the U.S. He, Open qualifying sites, it's not like they're playing – against slouches they're playing against corn Ferry and other pga tour guys that don't get in so it's still a, a decently solid field so i think his game's starting to come around but man it, it it got away from him it's just it's hard to imagine you know i can't remember the exact year i guess 2014 when he was top five in every major it looked like it was going to be a matter of time before he won one and now here we are several years later and he's not even in the field it's just it's nuts that a guy who's probably one of the top five most well-known names in golf outside of the sport isn't even in the field in the major championships. I can't remember a time when it's been like that in the past, but it's, it's crazy. I mean, the only other time you can think about that would be Tiger, but that's when Tiger was hurt. I, I mean, it's, right. it's never been because the golfer was 
genuinely just not good enough to qualify. Um, and that's how far he fell from grace. He, like you said, he's putting it together. And he had that really, he finished, I think, eighth at the PGA. And then he went out and he got top 20 at the Memorial. So he had back-to-back good starts. Um, I thought that he actually had done enough to get himself in the U.S. Open and then realized he had been at the sectionals than everybody else. And he said he stopped by one. So uh, hopefully he can get it back for, for some more later on this year and, and continues to play well and can get himself in position next year to get in some of these big tournaments. And we can start seeing him have an opportunity at big, big tournaments again, because that's another name that really could sell a lot in golf if he could get back into it. Yeah. He's an extremely likable guy. He's a great ambassador of the game. I mean, nobody's got a bad thing to say about him and it, it's a shame that his game got away from him as, as quickly as it did. I think uh, just, I think COVID affected everybody in different ways and not to make an excuse for the guy, but I think, I think it probably affected him more than anything because he was actually you know, playing pretty good golf until everything sort of shut down. And then it seemed like that 2020 season, he was just really non-existent where he was kind of the, I mean, the absolute free money. If you betted him to get a top 25 every week, it was, it was guaranteed. Yeah. It was, it was guaranteed week yeah. after week. And while, as I've said in the past, he doesn't win that much, but the guy's made a boatload of money. <laughs> top 25 in PGA Tour events, being a top 10 player in the world for a very long time to to see someone of that caliber fall that fast for and it's it's really not any thing in particular. I mean, he's not hitting the ball great and he's not putting great. It's not like he's just like he's got the heebie-jeebies or can't get off the tee. It's just everything's a step below his normal caliber, but hopefully we'll see him back next season. I don't think we'll see him in the uh, British later this year, but no, it really just shows you what this game can do and how quickly some of these guys, even even the top of the game, can truly fall from fall from grace. I mean, none yeah. of these are invincible. I mean, oh, I mean, granted, twenty years ago, but David Duval was the number one player in the world when Tiger came on stage by like two thousand six or two thousand seven. I think he lost his card. <laughs> it's like it's and it's not because he was old. I mean, he was in his mid thirties, early forties. So it's just it's a very fickle game. And it's very difficult because you can't bounce around from team to team and, you know, work your way into different roles and be a role player. It's like, you've got to go out there and perform week after week. And if you have a a stretch of 10 bad tournaments for a lot of players, that's most of your season. And then you're kind of like, Whoa, okay. And just the way the, the rankings in golf work, it's, it doesn't matter what you did. Oh, really over a year and a half ago, it, it counts for nothing. You've got to do it on a fairly consistent basis over two years repetitively or you're you done for me now. Not, not before. Yeah. I mean that Phil, I mean, Phil didn't play golf well for a few years, but he fell really quickly and, and Ricky was the same. I mean, it doesn't seem like it, it's been that long since he was a top 10 player in the world. And he's outside the top hundred, if I'm not mistaken now. Yeah. I think that's why he hasn't definitely was outside top 50. I don't know if he's fallen outside top hundred yet, but it's, he's close. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is it's why we love this game, but it's a, it's a difficult, difficult thing for these guys, difficult life for them. And then it gets even harder on, uh, once you lose your card of this corn, the corn fairy gets more and more competitive and you've got more and more guys being able to come up and, and truly fight, uh, for these spots. It's, it's not like when you drop down the corn fairy, it's a guarantee to, to get your card right back. No, it's not. And, and uh, to clarify, Ricky Fowler is 88th in the world now. 
And it was, yeah, it was closed, but not, not outside yet, but that's also with the last two events in there of good events. So he could have, he could have easily had dropping. Uh, he was probably pretty close. Um, yeah. He, at one point he was down to 128th when he teed it up at the Byron Nelson. Okay. Wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, going back to the U S open of two years ago, he was 14th in the world. Jeez. That is a free fall from grace. Yeah. So, um, like that really kind of covers up our U.S. Open. I guess you you've made your pick of John Rahm. If I'm going to stay here and, and make one pick, uh, you know what? I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Morikawa. The guy's playing great. I like I like where he's at. He clearly hits the ball far enough. Clearly uh, has the game to get it done out on the West Coast. Shows up in big tournaments time after time again. So uh, I'll stick with Morikawa getting his second one. Um, if I have to make a pick just to stay different from John Rom, but <laughs> it's really hard not to go with John Rom. So, yeah. Um, and I, I guess the last thing we can kind of wrap ourselves up on it is the huge trade news of, I guess, not one that we expected we were going to be talking about at this time of year. I think we thought it might have been a little bit a, a different player we were going to be talking about of a trade, but. Uh, don't you dare. We're, we're not talking about that topic of what you don't want to talk about. Instead, we're talking about Julio Jones got traded and got traded to the Tennessee Titans. And wow, oh, wow, does that change the outlook of that, that football team? Think of when you were on defense and you have to somehow manage A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry, and freaking Julio Jones. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's going to be an absolute matchup nightmare. And oh, by the way, they have Ryan Tannehill throwing the ball, who's an extremely more than adequate, capable, an extremely capable quarterback. And no so, offense, to, and he's also a decent little athlete. I mean, it's the guy can run a little. Not like he's not Lamar Jackson out there, but the guy can run. He can he can keep the ball. Yeah, he's certainly elusive. I mean, it, it's going to be an absolute matchup nightmare. And on top of that, in my opinion, one of the better coaches in the National Football League behind that so um it's it's just going to be a defensive nightmare um i think it would be hard not to say that they're a legitimate contender if julio stays healthy at this point um, it, it is an if he's struggled the last couple of years in atlanta to mm-hmm. stay healthy um but i think you're right i mean it clearly makes them in my opinion the uh, the favorite in the division um and it squarely probably puts them at number two in the AFC with the Chiefs still being number one. The the Titans got shore up their their corners for sure. They they drafted a corner who if he can stay healthy, who's had a lot of problems in his own career staying healthy. But if he can stay healthy on defense and be the corner that they want him to be that they drafted him to be in the first round, um, it'd be a really really huge pickup for him. So this could be a really special year for the Titans with with that Julio. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in in terms of fit, I don't know if there's a better team that he could have gone to as well because he's not going to have the the pressure that he had in Atlanta um, of just being having to be like the absolute guy. I mean, yeah, they got Calvin Ridley, but Calvin Ridley's not A.J. Brown, and that guy's an absolute stud. And, and the other thing, they're very similar in their style of play. They're very big physical receivers that can, can catch and go after the catch. Um, so – I think it's going to be an absolute nightmare. That is a very big physical offense. I mean, Ryan Tannehill's even a big guy. 
Yeah. Um, and then you're handing the ball off to Derrick Henry, who I don't think we really need to elaborate on that. And then you got pretty much two freaks of nature that are going to be on probably opposite ends of the field, just absolutely wearing out your yeah. secondary. Yeah, you've got guys running – you're streaking deep with those two. And then, oh, by the way, you have Josh Reynolds, who is playing out of the slots. He's no slouch of a slot receiver for you. Um, that offense is going to be absolutely wicked. And we've seen that it, its offense is what's winning championships now. So props to them for, for getting mm-hmm. done. And really, I think it was a pretty fair trade on both sides. The Falcons had to do this for their own their own cap reasons. And they got – I think it was a second-round pick this year – and they in a sixth round pick next year, or, or maybe a fourth next year. I think they swapped six. So it, it really was not a horrible trade. Hold uh, up the details to make sure I have it right. But no, but I, I agree. I think I don't think Atlanta was going to win with Julio, and I think they were on the cusp of a rebuilding sort of style, depending on what they choose to do with Matt Ryan in the coming years. Because I think as long as they have Matt Ryan, they'll at least have a viable product on the field. But um, I think this is going to kind of expedite it for them where they'll have a little more options to get, get some quality players early and uh, to start to, the re I guess the maybe not full rebuild with Atlanta, but at least a rebuilding phase where they'll be teetering. Kevin Ridley's ready to take, he played well in, in the being the number one wide receiver when Julio was out. So he's mm-hmm. clearly ready. You've got um, Hayden Hurst and Kyle Pitts, and you do a lot of different things with Kyle Pitts. So the Falcons aren't going to be hurting on their own offensive end. And with Julio getting up in age, I don't think this is a bad time for them to go youth in that sense and to build that offense. They can still compete with what they have right now if they want to try to win this year. And I think they've got some pieces to, to compete in that division, um, even with Tom Brady and – the Bucks reloading everything. I, I think that they have an ability to at least get themselves into a wild card spot, if not give them a run for their money down in Tampa, depending on, on injuries and everything else. But the details was a uh, so the Falcons sent Julio in a 2023 six rounder, so years from now for a uh, second rounder next year and a fourth in 2023. And the Titans are taking on a salary. So it's a, that's why I think you didn't see a first round pick was because of how much the Falcons were offloading on that salary, which was always kind of that last deal breaker was, was that money to pick analysis of how much money are the Falcons going to take. And that kind of determined what picks they were going to get. Yeah, I agree. I think it was a pretty fair trade on both sides. I think it, it's, it's definitely beneficial to each team. So, you know, I, I think as I mentioned, and as you, you mentioned uh, this puts Tennessee in a position where they're no longer kind of a, a playoff team, but a contender and in a, an era when offense is going to win championships, both in the college ranks and the pro ranks. If Atlanta is going to shop around a guy like that, and you have the means and the, the will to go get him. I think it's a great move for Tennessee. Same here. I, I'm excited. He's going to, I think he's really going to thrive in that offense. Um, Tennessee is going to, to take him in and love him like they love Henry and they love AJ. So he's, he's going to be a beloved player there, but he's not going to have all the pressure like he did. Atlanta. Like you said, he's not going to be the guy um, to look at on every single play. So. And I think, I think he, he left the city of Atlanta on good terms where it wasn't really you know his decision. He was pulling the Aaron Rodgers and he wants out, which I think will, will make a more comfortable transition. I also think, just on another note, I thought that was so cool how AJ was like 
shopping around for him and convincing him to come. <laughs> I, I thought that was I, – I don't know if he knew the – I guess the, the breadth that that would have on, on the actual transaction, but I thought that was, that was cool. And then I mean, he, he was doing everything he could to get him. I don't know if you saw um, Julio's comment on why he picked number two because um, he didn't want oh, to take did. Brown from eleven. Derrick Henry was number two or a twenty or is number twenty two, and he chose two. And he was like, "I wanted to be, you know, two times eleven is twenty two. Twenty two, yeah. Every team know that they'll have to deal with all three of us, and that one plus one is two. So it, it was cool how he's already kind of built that that rapport, which somebody of his you know tenure in the league and his um, respect is going to get anywhere he went, but just seeing how they're already, you know, fitting in well together. I mean, that, that's just going to be an absolute freak show on offense. Totally agree. Like I said, I put him squarely as the, it's probably my favorite, my second favorite in the AFC right now behind the Chiefs. I mean, it's, it's still hard to combat Patrick Mahomes, but um, this offense can do it. I'm just, if I'm power ranking teams to start the year, that's how I would. Yeah, I mean, the Chiefs will be a tall order for anybody as long as they have, um, you know, Mahomes, Tyree. Oh yeah, it's they'll they'll be tough to beat, but somebody's going to have to at least give them something to look at other than Buffalo. (laughs) Yeah, that that's going to be a lot of fun. You got you got some pretty young teams now with a lot of firepower on the AFC side. to take that on it, it what seems like it's the young lead and then you look over at the the nfc and you've got uh rogers for the time and brady and uh matt ryan and it, it's just funny when you think about it that side it's like the young league versus the old the old balls kind of is I, I hadn't thought of that but no i mean that, that pretty much wraps up the last couple of weeks here um in sports joe yeah yeah that was uh that was good stuff i uh I'm looking forward to hopefully a, a resurgence in the Braves baseball and then a good U.S. Open. And sounds about it. I, I will say, out of uh, personal brag here, I must do this to end the show. I want to give a shout out to the Tennessee baseball team for make their first time making it back to Omaha uh, to the College World Series in 16 years. Looking like a really strong favorite coming into Omaha with, with Arkansas getting knocked off. It's them, them, Texas, and Vanderbilt will be probably the top three teams coming into it. And this this team's got a lot of energy with them. And I, I'm going to be out here in Omaha. I actually already am. Um, it's a good year to have my parents living out here because going to be able to go to a lot, of, a lot of baseball games and get to see them. But if Tennessee wins a national championship, which by the, uh, the time we come back on in two weeks, uh, it'll be right around that time of – the, the second game for the, the college world series. So if they win a national championship, we might have to have a new introduction of, uh, of Rocky top plan or something. Cause boy, I'm going to be, I'm going to be unbearable and you know it. Cause you've done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, that, that walk off um, that was hitting the super regional. Oh, the regionals regional. Yeah. That was, that was probably one of the most hype sports highlights I've seen in a while that was awesome yeah if you if you haven't seen it like obviously i'm biased but i mean joe will test this it's just you you don't get anything better if it's a packed house you're down three in the bottom of the ninth and and your guy hits a walk-off grand slam and the place goes but absolutely bananas the celebration by the batter all-time great bat flip a great helmet toss before he gets into home plate i mean it's just a wild wild scene and he yeah. nuked it i was gonna say that that was not a wall scraper that was a no <laughs> doubt absolute piss missile so yeah good stuff props to him that he'll 
I'm sure he'll remember that forever. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's going nowhere. Yeah. So uh, this team's uh, this team's locked and loaded. So we'll see if they can get the job done for me in the next two weeks. I'll be uh, I'll be sweating them out. But take it take a tune into the College World Series because trust me, if you like baseball, you, college baseball this time of year doesn't get much better. It's a whole lot of energy. It's just like watching the playoffs and MLB baseball. So yeah, and and we'll probably cover that as well in in the next episode. So uh, we'll have something for you there. Good stuff, Joe. Well, we'll let everyone uh, get on out of here and. Uh, we're getting this out to you guys early this week on Monday. So enjoy the U S open this week and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you guys soon.